0: I'm so happy to look out and see Jose Kozer here on this campus. Um, it's such a pleasure to have him here, and I'm so happy that you all came out to hear him tonight. I have to admit that it's very intimidating to introduce this man. Um, I can't use an introduction to detail his publications um, or list them even. He has 49, is that even the right figure, or have you published 51 books of poetry, um, each of them to an important work contributing to a career of extraordinary magnitude. Um, and it's not normal to have so many books, but, at all. Um, but I think it speaks to the kind of poet that Jose is. Um, he's a very special kind of poet. Just yesterday, he opened his journal for me um, and showed me a poem that he had written after about two minutes of being on campus Um, And he said, see, look how easy this is. Um, And I really wish I could see how easy it was. Um, But I think I can begin to speculate as to why that's the case. Um, Jose writes generous poems. He writes poems that seem to make other poems possible. Um, He writes a poetry, ultimately, that makes poetry possible. And so it's very chilling to think of how many poetries would fail to exist if Jose had not been able to write, Um, particularly chilling knowing that he had to make a decision to come to the United States to pursue his career from Cuba. Um, So I just want to introduce him by saying how grateful I am that his writing does exist, and how grateful I am that he's here to share it with us tonight. Thank you.
1: Uh, you do realize that I was called abnormal by Michelle. (laughs) Okay, I prepared a few introductory words which I will read to you. Can you hear me? Yes, no, no? Can you hear me now? Yes, okay. Rather than thanking St. Vincent's College in prose, I hope the poems I am going to read convey my gratitude to St. Vincent's College. Uh, Professor Gil Montero convinced me yesterday to do something I have only done once or twice before. She convinced me to read both the Spanish and the English poems. I accepted because it is more interesting to me to accept than to contradict. To me, accepting leads to an adventure. Whereas contradicting is, in most cases, at least for me, something obsessive and ego-oriented. So I accepted it, not because you're charming, but because of what I said. I chose a number of poems. I am an extremely difficult poet. I am not one of those poets that you open up, you read, you yawn, and you go to sleep. I'm a poet that requires... uh, some sort of a devotion, continuity, reading, -reading, rereading, and not a one-shot issue. Having said that, I have chosen at first four poems, which are of a simpler nature, of a more direct nature. I will read first the Spanish text, and then the English translation, and then I will go into heavier stuff that I hope if you cannot follow word by word or, or, or verse by verse, at least you will get a sense of, of my work, a sense of what I do. Keep in mind that I am Cuban-born and very Cuban, that Spanish is my native, native language and not this foreign language I am speaking right now, that I still have difficulty with the word beach and the word sheet. Uh, there's a hard there's a sounds... <laughs> Those are hard sounds for us foreigners. Uh, I always go to the shore and I always take a piece of paper which ends up being a piece of paper. <laughs> uh, so bear that in mind as I do, as I do the English uh, reading. I'm also of Jewish extraction. I come from uh, on my mother's side, Orthodox Jews, on my father's side also but they were all wiped out in concentration camps on my father's side during World War II. And some of those elements appear in the work you're going to hear. The first one is called Limpieza General. <clears throat> <coughs> <coughs> Había que bajar todos los toldos de la casa. Había que tapiar todas las ventanas del barrio antes de abrir en toda su magnitud la puerta grande del jueves y entonces borraban el cadáver contrito de mi abuelo, el salfumán, la naftalina, los pasos de Abraham, anunciaban a mi madre chancleteando por los cuartos, mi madre puliendo los siete brazos de un candelabro, ordenando los cubiertos de la leche y de la carne, aplastando las frituras del éxodo y de la abundancia, mientras afuera la calle era una fiebre de mulatas encendidas, La calle se desbocaba en la triple iridicencia de un bongó cubano y las tres lindas cubanas movían trémulas las nalgas de una canción mientras mi madre ordenaba decisivamente los espejos. Weekly Cleaning All of the shades of the house were drawn, all of the neighborhood's windows shuttered before the great door of Thursday could be opened in all its glory. And then they erased my grandfather's contrite corpse, the sulfuric, the naphthalene, Abraham's steps, a portent of my mother's slippered progress through the rooms, polishing the seven arms of the candelabra, bringing order to the flatware for milk and for meat, frying the foods of exodus in abundance, while outside was a tumult of inflamed mulattas, the street overflowing with the triple flame of the bungo, and three lovely Cubans, their cheeks quivering, swayed to the rhythm of a song, while my mother straightened the mirrors for once and all. Lousy my English, no? 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 It's, it's, it's weird. That's strange. Diaspora. La tienda de La Habana está en el polvo En el polvo está el drill importado de Irlanda Y mi padre judío polvoriento Regresa día a día con el pan de centeno bajo el brazo Regresa día a día siempre idéntico Ojos oblicuos de Casimir rayado No parece un capitán sacudiendo las retinas Regresa a casa Parece un cráter áspero y alegre Viene papá y almorzamos mirando las molduras del techo, jamás vi entrar el agua, no veo un pez ni una maceta, mi madre vuelve a pulir la talla de los muebles, cambia las sábanas del jueves, no hemos visto una flor en todos los dormitorios de la casa, todas las tiendas de La Habana se han cerrado, los obreros se han puesto a desfilar enardecidos, Y mi padre, judío polvoriento, carga de nuevo las arcas de la ley cuando sale de Cuba. Diaspora The shop in Havana is dust and the Irish cotton is dust and my father, a dusty Jew, day after day comes home with a loaf of bread beneath his arm. Day after day, each day alike, his eyes oblique as striped gabardine. Not like the restless eyes of a captain searching the shallows, he returns to the house, a rough and bubbling crater. Papa arrives, we eat lunch, our eyes fixed on the ceiling's ornate molding. I have never seen the water come in, haven't seen neither fish nor flower pot. My mother enters and polishes the furniture's heavy carving, changes Thursday's sheets, no flower ever to be seen in any bedroom. All of the shops in Havana have closed. The workers, in a noisy fever, file through the streets, and my father, a dusty Jew, carries once more the ark of the law when he leaves Cuba. My father was born in Poland, really near Ukraine, and as a young man he was an idealist and you must understand in the 1920s being an idealist meant being a communist. And he was a tailor and a communist for a long time until he became disappointed. He once said to me, Comrade Stalin has delayed the revolution 500 years, and he is right. This poem is in honor of him. Mi padre está vivo todavía no lo veo y sé que se ha achicado tiene una familia de hermanos calcinados en polonia nunca los vio se enteró de la muerte de su madre por telegrama no heredó de su padre ni siquiera un botón qué sé yo si heredó su carácter mi padre que fue sastre y comunista mi padre que no hablaba y se sentó a la terraza a no creer en dios a no querer más nada con los hombres Uraño contra Hitler, Uraño contra Stalin, mi padre que una vez al año empinaba una copa de whisky, mi padre sentado en el manzano de un vecino comiéndole las frutas el día que entraron los rojos a su pueblo y pusieron a mi abuelo a danzar como un oso el día sábado y le hacían prender un cigarrillo y fumárselo en un día sábado, Y mi padre se fue de la aldea para siempre, se fue refunfuñando para siempre contra la revolución de octubre, recalcando para siempre que Trotsky era un iluso Iberia, un criminal, abominando de los libros se sentó chiquitico en la terraza, y me decía que los sueños del hombre no son más que una falsa literatura, que los libros de historia mienten porque el papel lo aguanta todo, mi padre que era sastre y comunista. My father, who's still among the living, I never see him, but I know that he's less than he was. His brother's unseen, incinerated in Poland, and he learned of his mother's death by telegram. His his father left him nothing, not a button, and who knows if he inherited his character. My father, who had been a tailor and a communist, who never talked, who sat on the terrace, who did not believe in God and had no use for mankind either, despising Hitler, despising Stalin, my father who once a year tossed back a shot of whiskey, my father gorging on apples in a neighbor's tree, when the Reds came into town and forced my grandfather to dance like a bear on the Sabbath, and forced him to smoke a cigarette on the Sabbath, and my father fled the village forever, Ever after his, his I'm sorry ever after his, his contempt for the October Revolution, forever repeating that Trotsky was a dreamer and Beria a thug, his tiny figure seated on the terrace, hating books also, because he told me the dreams of men are merest fiction, the histories are lies, and paper will put up with anything. My father, who had been a tailor and a communist. And this fourth poem is the old man coming into the house every day, systematically, the same rhythm, the same ritual, and the imagery that is here presented is conveyed in a dialogue between the narrator of the poem and my sister, whose name is Silvia, in reality and in the poem. ¿Te acuerdas, Silvia, como trabajaban las mujeres en casa? Parecía que papá no hacía nada. Llevaba las manos a la espalda, inclinándose como un rabino fumando una cachimba corta de abedul. Las volutas de humo le daban un aire misterioso. Comienzo a sospechar que papá tendría algo de asiático. Quizás fuera un señor de Besarabia que redimió a sus siervos en épocas del zar. O <coughs> <Okay. coughs> o quizás acostumbrara a reposar en los campos de avena, y somnoliento a la hora de la criba se sentara encorvado bondadosamente en un sitio húmedo entre los helechos con su antigua casaca algo deshilachada. Es probable que quedara absorto al descubrir en la estepa una manzana. Nada sabía del mar. Seguro se afanaba con la imagen de la espuma y confundía las anémonas y el cielo. Creo que la llorosa muchedumbre de las hojas de los eucaliptos lo asustaba. Figúrate qué sintió cuando Rosa Luxemburgo se presentó con un opúsculo entre las manos ante los jueces del zar. Tendría que emigrar pobre papá de Odessa a Viena, Roma, Estambul, Quebec, Ottawa, Nueva York. Llegaría a La Habana con un documento y cinco pasaportes. Me lo imagino algo maltrecho del viaje. ¿Recuerdas, Silvia, cuando papá llegaba de los almacenes de la calle Muralla y todas las mujeres de la casa ustedes se alborotaban? Juro que entraba por la puerta de la sala, zapatos de dos tonos, el traje azul, las rayas, la corbata de óvalos finita y parecía que papá no hacía nunca nada. Silvia, do you remember the women of the house, how hard they worked? It always seemed that father did nothing. Smoking his short birch pipe, hands clasped behind him, he paced like a rabbi, mysterious in a cloud of smoke. Looking back, it seems to me there was something Asiatic about him. Maybe he had been a lord of Bessarabia who had freed his serfs in the days of the Tsar. Or perhaps... He would rest in the old fields and at threshing time sleepily sleepily would sit bent forward in his threadbare coat in a damp place among the ferns. I imagine he'd become transfixed upon discovering on the steep an apple, he who knew nothing of the sea. Doubtless he would struggle with the image of foam confusing anemones with sky. Even the weeping mass of eucalyptus leaves would have frightened him. Imagine then what he must have felt when Rosa Luxemburg, trapped in hand, appeared before the Tsar's court, forced to emigrate from Odessa to Vienna, Rome, Istanbul, Quebec, Ottawa, New York. Weary of traveling, poor father would arrive in Havana like one document and five passports. Do you remember his return from Muraya Street Stores, the women of the house quivering with excitement? I swear to you that when he entered through the living room door in two-toned shoes, a striped blue suit, and a thin tie decorated with ovals, it would seem that Papa had never done anything. The next poem is a long and difficult poem in which I sing uh, the death of my grandfather. It is a poem that operates as follows. The man who was rabbinical is reading the Bible, the daily chapter of the Bible that he read in Hebrew. And as he begins to read, he's using the... the tip of the finger, the tip of his index finger, to follow the lines in the Bible, and he dies. And he dies in the beginning of the poem, and then the poem ensues. I will read this poem in, in Spanish, and Michelle will read it in, in English. Of course, if I can find it. Indicios del inscrito. ¿Está la yema del dedo corazón de su mano derecha en la extensión del versículo que dice Isaías 5:24? Todavía está húmeda la yema del dedo índice, húmeda y grana se derramó. Ese, ese era Elías en lo alto, en el recto apresuramiento de la llama de aquel dedo que recorre en toda su extensión un versículo se detuvo, derramaron la copa. David, con el arpa ante la silla, Dios mucho mayor, el orín traba las cuerdas del arpa al menor toque se desmoronará. Ese fue un rey insaciable y estas ya son sus generaciones venideras como aquel que se sentara a la cabecera de la mesa rapado miope se mece se inclina ah se emociona y se ladea es servicial es recto está embriagado de que haya cundido tanta desolación contra Jerusalén reyes inacabables cabalgaron hasta la frontera del limo se desmoronaron él señaló Con aquel dedo índice las atalayas que parecen lienzo blanco calcinado, señaló las fronteras en que Adonai varó los ganados, hizo incendiar la túnica de los jinetes embriagados, de sí cabalgaron hacia la frontera. Él los señaló en el versículo donde dice fuego, dice calcinación, ocio espectáculo el ganado varado en aquella frontera de sí, no hay más rumbo, el esqueleto de la vaca está oxidado, orín las cuerdas rey, David y om la noche el dedo de mi abuelo Isaac o Ismael o rey ahora sin nombre o de nombre cats o de nombre, lef o corazón de Judá, señala la palabra donde se detuvo la recta maraña de las palabras rey extranjero el dedo sobre la boca del hormiguero cinco, veinticuatro el fuego, ocio La huella, digital, es lo que queda, la uña tiene voz aún para que algún aleluya en la cuerda del arpa. Traigan su arpa los batientes de la ventana del rey David, el alféizar de su ventana, hasta todo lo alto de las atalayas son lienzo derramado en descomposición, en descomposición el arpa. Alabémoslo, él entiende sus cosas, él entiende lo vivo en el objeto varado el agua o el vino de las crecidas, pasada la frontera, Elías a la cabeza de la viga de los jinetes que cabalgan, el dulce yugo del sueño se cumplió, cumplido, pasada, yom, la quinta hora de la tarde del mes cinco del día veinte, es concreto mi abuelo, el dedo índice, suave, posado, sobre la rienda de su cabalgadura, suave, el versículo que lo guiara, lo guía a la pequeña frontera concreta de su hormiguero. Entre jinetes, señalado, todos igual, el brazo izquierdo marcado por el fuego de las filacterias, marcados los hombros por la voz del lino, en el manto incendiado que recubre los hombros por igual de uno o este, otro o aquel por igual, todos reyes, sus monturas apestan, el contrito que expió apesta, mas esa leña heledor, bodega olorosa, a pasas la muerte sobre el abuelo, su fornicación, una planta aromática. Está en la sala, a la cabeza de la grandísima mesa, con la gran arpa de su visión, a mano derecha de su postura, delante del libro, y al pie del arpa, un tibor, para que escupa, Su muerte, sus cabalgaduras, su galope ritual de palabras extranjeras, compuestas de semillas de cardamomo, semillas de cártamo para la unción nupcial, de su manto, su baldaquino, su bonete ritual ungido por la gota nupcial de vino que guarda bajo la lengua, muerto, todo ungido a su alrededor, y mucho más allá, entre circunferencias, en la frontera ulterior, la sala, en la sala... Una planta cubana de interior, la areca, se reprodujo. El alféizar de la ventana es de piedra inmortal. Los batientes de la ventana son de voz inmortal que ni galernas, ni ciclón de hormigas, ni descomposición ninguna alteran. Mi abuelo es de la fila genealógica de David ante el arpa, jovenzuelo entre colgaduras, entre jaeces, en sus pabellones, todo el brazo derecho extiende al máximo el arma ritual del arquero, extiende la ballesta al máximo de ballesteros en sus atalayas, la flecha que disparará es bodegón de palabras, un bodegón de líquidos que es unción de rama, desde allá Toca la casa, toca la mesa, grandísima de Pascuas a que nos sentamos. Esta, la silla. Este, el respaldo. Estos, los jueces embarados que nos juzguen. Este es el libro de Isaías, abierto en el versículo correspondiente del día en que corresponda reunirnos como hojarasca calcinada del Señor, a bajar la cabeza bajo el peso contemplativo de las palabras extranjeras, Y al son de arpas, al son de cítaras muy interiores, elevaran a Elías muy en alto, guiado por una viga ungida de caballos, nada lo ataja. Soy libre de imaginación, soy libre columbro las arpas del rey David sus atalayas embadurno su cuerpo con aceites aromáticos de cardamomo la yema de mis dedos tocada de eneldo lava la viva cavidad bucal de David gran rey, gran estirpe los muertos, este desciende de Israel se llama Isaac, es concreto está muerto mi abuelo a veinte de mayo casi entrada la noche y ahora es que recorre Los versículos inalcanzables del libro, cada palabra que toca la yema de uno de sus dedos de la mano derecha, se abre. En la frontera, se abre. Pasada la raya de guerras, raya de la embriaguez, toca la yema del dedo sobre dulcemente, sobre casi imperceptiblemente en el libro, palabras. Una es silla, una es cuero, una pergamino, todas caballo.
0: traces of the inscribed this is the tip of the longest finger of his right hand tracing the length of, of a verse of Isaiah 524 still moist still moist and red it overflowed it overflowed that one was elijah on high in the precise rush of whatever fingertip traces a verse's entire length he stopped they overflowed the cup david harp in hand before the throne god much the greater rust binds the harp strings at the slightest touch will crumble he that insatiable king and these now are his generations to come like he who sat at the head of the table shaven head myopic he shakes the genuflex he is overcome and sways he's helpful upright drunk on that which has brought down on jerusalem so much desolation eternal kings who galloped to the borderline of slime crumbled he with that finger he pointed out the towers that shone like whitewashed linen he pointed out the borderlines where Adonai ran the cattle aground ignited the cloaks of the writers drunk on themselves they galloped to the border he he pointed to them in the verse where it says fire says burning bone spectacle that beached cattle on that borderline of itself no other way to go the skeleton of the cow oxidized rust the strings king david yom night the finger of my grandfather isaac or ishmael or king now nameless or cats or lev our heart of judah pointing to word where the precise thicket of words stopped the foreign king the finger covering the mouth of the anthill 524 flame bone The fingerprint is all that's left, the fingernail resounding still, though through some harp string, hallelujah. Bring, oh bring his harp, King David shutters, windowsill and everything to his topmost towers are spilled, linen rotting, the harp rotting. Let us praise him. He understands his ways. He understands the life of beached things, water or wine of the freshets across the border, Elijah at the head of the yokes of galloping horsemen. The sweet yoke of dream it is fulfilled. Fulfilled, past, yom, the fifth hour of the afternoon of the fifth month of the twentieth day, precisely, grandfather, the soft index finger resting upon the soft rein of the mount of his mount, the verse that's to guide him, guides him to the small, precise border of the ant hill. Among the horsemen, singled out, all alike, the left arm marked by the phylactery's flame shoulders, marked by the voice of Lenin in the burnt cloak covering his shoulders like one or that, other, or any at all, they are all kings. Their saddle stinks, and he who atoned stinks. But it's the scent of privet, the shock redolent of raisins, death upon grandfather, its fornication and aromatic plant, He's here in the living room at the head of the enormous table, the great harp of his vision to the right of where he sits facing the book, and at the foot of the harp a spittoon for spitting. His death, his mount, his ritual gallop of foreign words, compounds, seeds of cardamom, seeds of safflower for the nuptial anointing of his cloak, his canopy, his ritual yamuke anointed with the nuptial drop of wine that he holds beneath his tongue dead. Everything around him anointed and farther off among circumferences at the final border, the living room In the living room, a Cuban houseplant, the betel palm, fecund. The windowsill is carved from deathless stone. The shutters are deathless boxwood that neither northwesterlies nor whirlwind of ants nor any form of decomposition alters. Of the line of David, my grandfather before the harp, a youth among tapestries among harnesses in his pavilions right arm completely extended the archer's ritual armament extended completely the crossbows of the bowmen, in their tower the arrow he will shoot is a still life of words a still life of liquids anointing overflowing he touches from there the house he touches the enormous Passover table at which we sit this the chair this its back those rigid judges who sit in judgment of us this is the book of Isaiah, open to the verse corresponding to the day, which corresponds to our coming together like a, like a pile of the Lord's charred leaves, bowing our head beneath the contemplative weight of foreign words that, at the sound of harps of intimate citharas, lifted Elijah unto the highest led by a team of anointed horses. Nothing interrupts his passage. I am free, free to imagine... I can see King David's harps, his towers, I spread oils of aromatic cardamom across his body, my fingertips dipped in dill, cleanse King David's living buccal cavity, great king, great lineage, the dead. He, descendant of Israel, his name is Isaac, palpably, this corpse, my grandfather, on the 20th of May, almost at dusk. And it's now that he traces the unreachable verses of the book. Each word that a finger of his right hand touches is opened. At the border it opens, past the line of war, the line of intoxication, the fingertip touches upon sweetly, upon almost imperceptibly in the book, words. And one is chair, one leather, one parchment, all of them horse.
1: Let's do uh, two more. They're both dedicated to my wife, whose name is Guadalupe. And Michelle, I have bad news for you, but the first one, Encuentro en Chofusa, you're gonna do in English. It's on page 57, okay? (laughs) (laughs) And the country. So I'll do the Spanish and Michelle will do the English of both the last two poems. Encuentran Shofu Fusai is a poem that follows the following technique. Li Po, a famous Chinese poet, wrote a poem in which he sings a young couple, just married, he's a merchant and he has to go up north to uh, make money. And their wedding night is sort of ephemeral and their relationship disrupted because of this. She's a young woman, almost a maiden, and he's a young man, both of them in love. He goes up north, and a year after, he returns, and she's been waiting for him, and now she knows that he's returning. And Mr. Po, the Chinese poet, captures the moment of return and the excitement of the young bride and the young man that are finally going to be reunited. Ezra Pound, many centuries after, translated a la Pound Lipo's poem, and when I say a la Pound, the translation is not really a translation, a literal translation, but a rifacimento, a, a, a reinvention of the original Lipo poem. And a number of years after Mr. Pound's poem, Mr. Kozer writes a poem on this issue based on Pound's poem, which is based on Lipo's poem. The difference now being that the young maiden is called Guadalupe. And she's also 18 years. In Lipo's poem, she's 15. I have never abused children, so, you know, I made sure that she was legal at the time. <laughs> and I've never been an old lecher. And uh, that's what the poem narrates, and this is what you will hear. Encuentro en Chofusa. Escucha Guadalupe escribo para ti de soslayo esta imitación tomada de pound de lipo tomada venerando al imitar dado que mis fuerzas flaquean ya estamos viejos unos más que otros los tres concomitantes tres pirámides viejas tres barcas en la noche a orinar un río rapalo Un reparto habanero roído por onzas de carcoma llamadas tiempo, las onzas relojeras del tiempo aquí, allá en la China, y entre la China y aquí, pound. Pound, péndulo y martillazos la contera del tiempo. Hace falta el punto de la tinta o de la mina del lápiz Guadalupe para clamar a tu figura vaciada desde hace años de matriz pero llena de frondas, de receptáculo, oído vivo de José. Oye, alipo, apaundo, óyelos, traquetear palabras coordinadas, perfección, por encima del tiempo. Ellos lo igualan. ¿Qué te digo? Ven a esperarme. Ellos lo deponen y continúan, ya coronan. Coronaron, y aquí se cuenta como la joven esposa de un mercader lamenta la ausencia del amado. ¿Concibes, Guadalupe, tú que concibes tales aguamieles, era una niña se hizo casadera, conoció líbanos cántaros de leche ella tuvo que imaginar tras el conocimiento de amor cosas de libros ajenos cosas muy verdaderas a la imaginación digamos de sensibles doncellas de pronto seducidas a todos los efectos por la palma de una mano que tranquiliza recuerda jugueteaban Y acostumbrados desde niños, según nos cuentan los poetas, a ofrecerse corolas, ramilletes y esplendores amarillos que el emperador en su aislamiento desconoce, a partir de los dieciséis años de la amada, tú, a los dieciocho, Fueron ambos esplendor, amarillo, viva naturaleza, reducida a un momento de cuatro piernas entrecruzadas, recuerda, en tijereta de amor, y fueron, solaz, sin sin interpretación posible, innecesaria. Otra cosa mediaba, él marchó, ella quedó a la espera, tú esperarás, En la somnolencia de la espera dijo al oído de Lipó unas palabras recogidas por Pau, aquí transcritas en ellas, Guadalupe, se te menciona a la espera de un reencuentro. Y de su particular geografía, geografía por venir, te escribe José estas palabras, Toma, entre tus manos, por ejemplo, la belle dame San Merci, toma, asimismo, she walks in beauty, y fair is fair, coge entre tus manos a Marlow, the passionate shepherd, to his love, échate a andar, nada temas, estás guiada. Una isla verdor, astidea, azules y carmelitas inenarrables, esto lo digo por ti, ya que amaste más que nadie a la palabra carmelita, santificada, santificada, adéntrate, ah, atraviesa umbrales, La oscuridad es luz, y deja a un lado esa ciencia de aire que dijera Elifaz guiando a Job Virgilio, a Job Teresa, o Juan o Kitz, el jovencísimo a Job. Llamemos por un instante a lesama al servicio de otro poeta llamado Julián. Todos te servirán, guían, todos, todos llaman, dejaré yo entonces de clamar, allégate. A Sadai no le han sido ocultados los tiempos del esplendor, del esplendor irreversible del tiempo, mira, flor de ciruelo, está en el poema Pound Lipo, sigue al paso el trazado de su sombra, llegarás a una cima, las pobres tierras llanas apenas simbolizan, contempla, una ciudad Un joven de 26 años, posible mercader casadero, subirá por deltas y contracorrientes rumbo a poblaciones extrañas a negociar el asunto interminable de todos los días, morir. Ahora está varado el joven, tiene 16 años, somos tú su piel cuajada de manchas arteriolas, las ramificaciones y endurecimientos es carne a la diestra de una perfección, mírala, sólo mírala, adéntrate, hálito en ti, Guadalupe, reconfortar es natural, Imprímele a quien esperas entre dos orillas, dos soplos, un poco de figura y hálito, Imprímele otro poco de tu diestra figura, naturaleza, nárrale para oírlo, Háblale para escucharlo, y de él, José, vendrá otra vez, Pound, la lluvia, Lipo, No estamos tú y yo dispersos, es aquí, aquí. El sitio tiene nombre como nombre innombrable, tiene tu naturaleza. Le pondremos en decha, ¿qué más da? Bien sabemos que es para salir del paso, sal a mi paso, que llueve fino, llueve bien, y las florestas de la palabra se han hinchado.
0: A meeting at Listen, Guadalupe, indirectly I write for you this imitation of Pound, imitating Li Po, honoring by imitation, now that my energy, which now sustains all things, begins to flag. We three are old already, some more than others, all three contemporaries, three old pyramids, three ships, pissing in the night, a river. Rapallo, a neighborhood in Havana, eaten ounce by ounce by the worm called time, time's clock chime ounces, here in China and from China to here, pound, pound, pendulum and stroke the beat of time, the pen lacks ink, the pencil lead, Guadalupe, to call forth from the womb your form, long since emptied but filled with fronds, with refuge, Jose's living ear, Listen to Li Po, listen to Pound, hear them shifting parallel words, perfection passing beyond time, become its equal. What do I say to you? Come to await me. They put it aside, they continue, they already crown, they crowned it. And here they recount the moments like the merchant's young wife lamenting her lover's absence. You who conceived Guadalupe, can you conceive such nectar? she was a girl she grew to a marriageable age imagining lebanon's flagons of milk she had to learn the matters of love from the books of others, matters, we say, well fit for the imagination of sensitive damsels seduced in all their senses by a calming hand. Remember, they played together, accustomed, the poets tell us, since childhood to offering corollas, clusters, and splendors of yellow that the emperor in his isolation didn't know, both after the beloved 16th year and you at 18 themselves become a splendor of yellow all of nature for that moment reduced to remember to four legs entwining loves tendrils solace beyond interpretation not called for something intervened he left she waited and you will wait and in the somnolence of waiting whispered to Li Poe some words gathered by pound and here transcribed in them Guadalupe he suggests to you the hope for a reunion and Jose, from his own geography in the future, writes these words to you. Take, for example, la belle dame sans merci between your hands. Take as well, she walks in beauty and fair is fair. Hold between your hands Marlowe, the passionate shepherd to his love. Arise and go, fear not, you are guided, an island, greenery, understand, blues and unutterable umbers. For you, who have loved more than anyone the word umbers, I utter this sanctified, sanctified, plunge in, cross thresholds, darkness is light, and puts aside that science of air that Eliphas would have pronounced while guiding Job, Job's Virgil, Job's Teresa, or Juan, or the boy Keats. For a moment, let's call Lissama to you, or to the service of Julian, that other poet. All will serve you, they are guides, all call out, and I myself will cease my clamoring, come to me. Time was not hidden from Shaddai, out of time's irreversible splendor. Look, the flower of the plum tree, it's in the poem, in Pound, in Li Po. The trace of his shadow follows his passage. You will arrive at a height, the bereft prairies, scarcely symbolic. She calls to mind. A city, a young man of twenty six, perhaps a marriageable merchant, will climb through deltas and counter currents toward foreign towns to negotiate the endless business of dailiness dying. Now this young man, this maker of wands, he's sixteen, we are you. His skin caked with stains, capillaries, branches, and hardenings is the flesh of the right hand of a perfect being. Look at it. Only look at it. Enter a breath to comfort Guadalupe is your nature impart it to whoever you wait between two shores between two puffs of air a little form a little breath impart a little of your right side your nature tell him so as to hear it speak to him so as to listen and from him Jose will come again pound the rain lipo you and I we aren't separate it's here here this place has a name like an unnameable name that has your nature here, we'll call it, we will call it a dirge. What difference does it make? We know that to escape this past, you must follow my pace, that it rains lightly, rains well, and that the flowery meadows of the word have swollen.
1: And the last poem, it's called Corno de Luz, and the translation into English is not from this book, but is by Michel Hill Montero. Canta Guadalupe hasta hacer torcer el rumbo de los ánades que nos devuelvan al sur. A izquierda y derecha, canta la brisa en la hierba, los juncos y jarcias en las trombas del mar. Canta, canta Guadalupe la luz torciendo en tu ovillo pelirrojo y canta escala tras escala para que el pentagrama ascienda a su nimbo corola sosteniéndose encima de la figura repantigada de un arcángel. Ya terminaste de cantar en la cocina la sal en su sitio, las colmenas del salitre en las dunas oriundas del viejo desierto del oriundo lugar, de las nubiles playas del raudal sin contorno. Siéntate a mi lado y canta, tuércete un poco, que me gusta mirarte cada vez que relumbras en la penumbra unos instantes, cercada por la lumbre de una vela encendida en un cuadro que bien conocemos de Georges de Tour. Haz de mí, Guadalupe, un poeta modernista con un kimono raído de seda en alguna ciudad tropical?, chisporroteo de una oscura tela de pintor impresionista, o hazme escribir los poemas de José Asunción Silva, sus sílabas trastabillando, hazmelos canturrear. Acerca más tu perfil a mi cabeza, intermitente cabeza de poemas, y apacigua ya con tu voz sus escalas que sea yo el repantigado arcángel de tu asunción coronada a la cabeza de un halo de hormigas una a una la hoz indivisible las divida en dos y dividiéndolas me lleve al desfiladero interminable de las hormigas camino de sus hormigueros no hay mies más verdadera verdad Guadalupe canta canta encima de mi cabeza y las tres notas que canta sean tres golpes de pecho a la hora de orar entre los hormigueos de mi pantalón ajado una vez más en esta sala ríamos tú y yo choteando al pobre amado nervo lleno de gracia como bien sabemos para su desgracia un pretexto verdad Un pretexto como otro cualquiera para que tú y yo de frente o perfil de costado izquierdo ó derecho y aun de espaldas fulguremos otro momento más entre las semifusas diáfanas el creyendo jamás confuso o el indiviso triple de tubos ligereza Guadalupe. Ligereza y una cierta concisión que la canción culmina, la letra se difumina y al ensamblarse a la luz del crepúsculo nuestro, el arcángel repantigado que estaba adormecido por el efecto de tu canción, Acaba de sentarse tieso, está un poco furioso, y ya me mira, osco desde su trono, oxidado, me obliga a derramar otro signo ortográfico que atenta a Guadalupe, tras un giro será borra arrasada.
0: Cone of Light, Who Hath My Heart and Jurisdiction, Ezra Pound, Balateta. Sing, Guadalupe, until you twist the flight path of ducks that return us south. Sing right and left to the breeze and the grass, to the reeds and riggings and ocean storms. Sing, sing, Guadalupe, the light twisting in your red-haired ball of twine, and sing scale after scale so the staff can ascend to its nimbus, the corolla held over the sprawled figure of an archangel. You've stopped singing in the kitchen, the salt in its place, the hives of saltpeter in the dunes, native to the native old desert, with nubile beaches, torrents with no contours. Sit beside me and sing... And turn a little this way, I like to see you when you light up in a shadow confined for a moment by the glow of a candle burning in the painting we know so well by Georges de la Tour. Make me Guadalupe, a modernist poet in a striped silk kimono in some tropical city, the crackling of an impressionist painter's dark candle. Or make me write poems by Jose Asuncion Silva, their staggering syllables. Make me murmur them, bring your profile closer to my head, the intermittent mind of poems and calm now with your voice it scales. So I might be the sprawled archangel of your assumption, head crowned by a halo of ants, one by one divided in two by an indivisible sickle, which dividing them brings me to an endless ravine of ants en route to their ant hills. There is no harvest more true, right, Guadalupe? sing sing over my head and your three sung notes would be three blows to my chest at the hour of prayer pins and needles in my wrinkled trousers let's laugh one more time in this room you and i making fun of poor amado nervo full of grace as we know so well in all his disgrace just a pretext right a pretext just like any other for you and me facing or in profile on our right or left sides and even still on our backs let's scintillate a little longer between the diaphanous 64th notes the unmuddled crescendo or the unbroken trouble of your voice Lightness, Guadalupe, lightness, and a certain concision, so the song caps off, the lyric smudges, and as it pulls itself together by the glow of twilight our own, the sprawled archangel that dozed off under the influence of your song sits straight up, a bit furious, and glares at me sullenly from his rusty throne, forcing me to pour forth one more mark of punctuation, so thoughtfully, Guadalupe, after return, it will become a burned dreg. (laughs) and I think <laughs>